You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Hey, Firsties, I wanted to jump on here real quick and tell you about our Patreon. If you have listened to every single episode of The First Degree and you want more content, you can get up to four bonus episodes a month over at patreon.com slash the first degree. And we've got a mix. We've got some traditional true crime storytelling over there, as well as, you know, some episodes that we're having a good time, having some cocktails, talking shit, you know the drill. Plus, it's uncensored, so we can do whatever the hell we want over there. So we would love to have you go to patreon.com slash the first degree to join. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. See it on the news. See it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. I just got this random letter in the mail from him with no return address, but it was postmarked Hillsborough County. Florida. And all the letter said was, I've gotten myself in some trouble. I'll probably never see any of you again. Just know that I love you. I was like, what the heck is going on? So I called the Hillsborough County Jail and just asked them, well, can you tell me what he was arrested for? And they said it was three counts of attempted murder. And I was like, holy hell. Okay. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm here with Alexis Linkletter. And I do want to tell everybody that before we started this podcast, we've been brainstorming what next year is going to look like for us and all the things that we have up our sleeve and in our pocket. And there's like a lot of good shit coming for you. Honestly, I think you um, have all underestimated us (laughs) as far as the level of um, entertainment and engagement we can provide. And I think... We're going to blow your minds and we're really excited for next year. And we only say this because it's only a few months away next year. We, it's the summer slipped by somehow, but, uh, yeah, we're thinking about you. We're thinking about what you want and we're thinking about the future of the first degree. So it's only going to get better and better from my perspective. Yeah. We're like in the middle of a revamp and we're like thinking about, you know, what the duo of the first degree is going to be like and all of the doors that we're going to open and all the fun things that we're going to do. But until we do, get to all of that. If you're not joining and part of our Patreon, I think that you need to go over there and sign up because that is where all of our bonus unfiltered, just us, no sponsors telling us what to do or what we can and cannot say. Like that's where the magic really happens. I feel like that's where the real us lives, frankly. Um, as much as we, we love first degree, honestly, this episode, this, this, 
everything we do is about the people who call and tell us our stories. Yeah. You know, they the ones sharing their stories, this entire episode's about them. But if you want more than that, Patreon's Patreon's the place to be. Patreon is the place to be. And our Facebook group. Ugh, the best. Honestly, the best. we love our Facebook group. It's the best. We love our firsties. Okay, so before we jump into the episode, do you want to know what day it is today? I'm dying to know. So it is September 14th, and it is Eat a Hoagie Day. A hoagie? Is that like a the same s- as just like a Jersey Mike sub? A hoagie is a sandwich that I think is on, like you see the hoagie bread. Is it's it on hot? a roll, a sandwich roll. Um, I don't know if a hoagie is technically hot or not, but Eat a Hoagie Day says... A regional term for the type of submarine sandwich that originated in or around Philadelphia. I'm here for that. I love all sandwich. I am the the Duchess of Sandwich, and I'm here to uh, try your sandwich if you have one. And they say hoagies uh, may consist of meats, cheeses, vegetables, and condiments, which are placed in a sliced bun, roll, or bl- bread. So Honestly, uh, all of our favorite things collectively because me best. and Jack both love sandwiches. I know. I'm going to have a sandwich today. It's also National Go- Gobstopper Day. That really brings me back. And National Cream Filled Donut Day. And that is basically all the days today. Okay. Well, I think we landed at the right place with Hoagie. So I think we can just carry on, you know? Yeah. So that is enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety because this could be you. So time and time again in true crime, we come up against that old conundrum, nature versus nurture. There's been decades of criminological research dedicated to zeroing in on which aspect has the biggest influence when it comes to psychological development. We know that many people who end up in prison for crimes related to things like domestic violence and stalking have things like childhood abuse and trauma in their histories. But we also know that far more survivors who experience the same types of childhood trauma go on to be perfectly law-abiding citizens who have empathy and contribute to society in meaningful ways. And as such, we all know it's not such a clear-cut dichotomy. We do all have choices in life to varying degrees, and few people are either wholly good or wholly bad. If we as individuals are related to someone who commits terrible acts, the question is, what does that mean for us? Our story today focuses on this question and shows that despite the many lows that a dysfunctional early home life can bring, your genes certainly do not define you. We begin today's case on August 22nd of 1992. And in terms of pop culture, the hit ballad End of the Road by one of the world's most popular boy bands, Boys to Men, was topping the Billboard charts and November Rain by Guns N' Roses was also in the top five. At the box office, everybody was going to see Unforgiven starring Clint Eastwood in Single White Female with Bridget Fonda. And the setting for the first part of today's story is Gulfport, Mississippi. So Gulfport is the second largest city in Mississippi after Jackson, and it's home to numerous First Nation tribes, including the Choctaw and the Biloxi people. Situated on the Gulf Coast of southern Mississippi in Harrison County, the city of around 65,000 people is located about 160 miles south of Jackson. And in the early 20th century, Gulfport served as a connection between the Gulf Coast and inland lumber mills. Super interesting. 
but we're going to get right to it, shall we? So our first degree for today's story is named Jody. And Jody has a really interesting background. She's the oldest of four siblings who share both the same mother and father, which means obviously the implication there, she has lots of half siblings elsewhere. Her dad, Terry, also had many kids from previous relationships. He was married twice before my mother. I had four children with his first wife, one with the second wife, and four with my mom. Jody's dad, Terry L. Barron, was born on February 5th of 1939. Both he and his brother, Gerald, were born and raised in very rural backwoods, Louisiana. And from what Jody knows, Terry's father was physically abusive towards the boy's mom. But Jody's grandmother wasn't sticking around to be treated like garbage. Right. And remember, this isn't exactly an era where women typically just got up and left their abusive husbands. But not with Jody's grandmother. She was both brave and a bit of a badass. And at some stage later in Terry's childhood, his father died. From what I've heard from family and my granny, actually, he was abusive. And my granny left him. She didn't stick around. She she was like, nope, we ain't doing this sucker. And she went and lived with her mama. And, of course, Greeny had to get out and get a job. And she actually worked in a munitions plant. So she left them with her mom, my Greeny Lee, and all of her younger siblings to take care of. She left my dad and my Uncle Gerald and my Greeny's brothers, who were closer to my dad's and Gerald's age, did pick on them and hit them. I, I don't want to say the word abuse them because I don't know for sure, but that it, it wasn't a great experience for Gerald and my dad. Much of Terry's history after that is kind of murky. As a young man, he joined the Navy, but this didn't seem to provide him with the direction in life that it does for many other young men. He was in the Navy. Of course, you know, back then all the guys, you know, joined the service because that's just what you do. He always was kind of a wanderer. So after two failed marriages, Terry met and married once again, and his third wife was Jody's mom. And by this stage, Terry was working as a truck driver and sometimes as a carpenter. He had dark hair and he had tattoos. And Jody remembers the family moving around a lot between Mississippi and Florida and beyond. And sadly, unfortunately, history was repeating itself because Terry at this point was also abusing Jody's mom. My memories of him are not fond. He was abusive to my mom. There, there were, you know, I can remember waking up, me and, you know, a small child. And, you know, he was on top of my mom hitting her and there was a gun once. And, you know, it, it was just he was not a great dad. We moved a lot and that's because he was in trouble a lot. It seemed like we never stayed placed in, in one place for like more than a year. I was always the new kid at school. We would move here to Gulfport where my mom is from and we'd stay here a year and then we moved to New Mexico and then we moved back here and then we'd moved to Shreveport, Louisiana and back here and then we moved to Tampa and back here and Lake Charles, Louisiana. So we were just always bouncing around and and now I think it was because he was just he would either start owing people money or getting himself in trouble and it was just getting too hot. He never touched us as children. It was just my mom. Terry was not a great dad. And his abuse seemed to know no bounds. When Jody's mom was seven months pregnant with the youngest of the four kids, the family was living in Tampa, Florida. 
One night, Terry beat Jody's mom so severely that she went into labor early. She gave birth to Jody's little sister, Sandy, who was born with developmental issues. I don't remember exactly everything, but there was a tomato soup on the stove, and I remember it going across the floor, and he had her by her hair. And then next thing I know, my mom's good friend, Luana, was there with us because my dad had to take my mom to the hospital, and Sandy was born. Sandy was born premature and subsequently has had some, like, kind of delayed, I don't know what the right word is, but she she's developmentally delayed, I guess she is, is the correct way to put that. As our first degree Jody moved into her teenage years, she saw less and less of her dad, Terry Barron, who'd been abusive to Jody's mother. This wasn't necessarily a bad thing, because on the one hand, Jody hated her father for beating her mom, but obviously she had complicating feelings about it, you know, because that's her dad. Hey, side note, and this is just from personal experience, no one should ever tell anyone how to feel. The way that individuals respond to obstacles in their life is directly tied to their unique personal recipe of traumas that make them who they are. You'll never understand. And having empathy is being okay with not understanding and still not being judgmental of someone's choices. From my memory, he always took me to school every morning. He brought me to school that morning, dropped me off, and then he just never came home. He was a shitty person. He beat the crap out of my mom. But I was still very close to him. I was the typical daddy's girl. You know, he went fishing. I was with him. He went hunting. I was with him. I was like on his hip. And it hurt me a lot when he left and and just didn't come home. I was like, you know, do we not mean enough, you know, for you to stick around or whatever? Do I not mean enough? And I was like, you know, put aside the fact that you, you beat her. Even if you were unhappy and you left, you couldn't stay married to her anymore. Okay, fine. She's the reason you left. She's not the reason why you stayed away. She's not the reason, like, you never picked up a phone. You you didn't know if we were alive or dead or if we were hungry or had shoes or, you know, she had to work like three jobs to take care of all of us. Not once did you, did you even try to take care of your children? And he just wouldn't take responsibility for, for that, for just failing on us. But I mean, he had done it to the older kids too, my older brothers and sisters. With Terry gone, Jody's mom, of course, had to work to support the four kids so she wasn't home that much and left Jody to take on this disciplinarian role with her younger siblings, but she really had little parental guidance herself. With her gone and having to work after he left, I did become the, like the disciplinarian for my siblings. Like I was the quote unquote dad. And that's how I ended up pregnant at 16 because I was like, I'm a grown up. You ain't telling me what to do. I run this house. Jody got pregnant at 16 with her son, Chris. But of course, her dad didn't know that because he wasn't around. Then one day out of nowhere in 1991, Terry came back to town. And guess what? He wanted to see his daughter, Jody. 
So she was shocked that he'd made contact at all, and frankly, she was scared to see him, even thinking at one point that he might abduct her. But her curiosity won and drove her to go meet with him. Out of the blue, my dad called me and said he was in town. He was at the Waffle House up near the interstate and wanted to see me. And I can remember being terrified to go see him because I, I, for some reason in my head, like I thought he was going to try to kidnap me. And I went up there, I had a friend drive with me and I didn't bring Chris because he was like two months old at the time. And I can remember walking into this Waffle House and in my mind, I guess because the last time I saw him, I was a child, a little kid. I was like looking for this tall guy with this dark hair and tattoos and and I'm just standing there in the restaurant looking and I don't see anybody and then this guy walks out of the bathroom area and he's got white hair and he's like short I'm taller than him <laughs> and it was my dad I was like holy shit who are you like I'm only 5'4 I'm not super tall but he was literally like shorter than me Jody talked with Terry for a bit and learned that he was still driving trucks for a living. Then, outside of the Waffle House, Jody saw a woman holding a baby sitting in Terry's truck, and she had no idea who this woman was and wondered if the baby was yet another half-sibling of hers. We walked out to the parking lot, and there was actually a woman in the cab of this truck, and I don't remember her name, but she actually had like a toddler on her lap. So, without a doubt, I have there's no doubt in my mind that that was probably another brother or something of mine that I don't know about. So after this visit, Jody had this hope and she clung to this hope that her relationship with her dad would get back on track. She wanted a father and she wanted her son to have a grandfather. However, she didn't know it at the time, but this encounter outside of the Waffle House would be the last time she'd ever see her dad, Terry, outside of a jail cell. I was like, you know, maybe this is the the start. Maybe we can develop a relationship. You know, maybe he he will be a grandfather to my child. And it just, you know, didn't work out that way. Then right around a year later in 1992, Julia received a cryptic letter from her father. And it turned out that it had been sent from a Florida jail. I just got this random letter in the mail from him with no return address. But it was postmarked Hillsborough County, Florida. And I knew that that was the Tampa area because we lived there before when I was younger. And it, all the letter said was, I've gotten myself in some trouble. I'll probably never see any of you again. Just know that I love you. And, and that's all it said. So Jody made some calls and ultimately learned that her father was in prison on multiple counts of attempted murder. But that wasn't all. As bad as and as horrific as attempted murder is, and brace yourself here, Terry had actually severed the penis of the man he attacked. I was like, what the heck is going on? So I called the Hillsborough County Jail and just asked them, okay, I don't know what you're allowed to tell me, but do you have a Terry Barron in custody? And they said, yeah. And I was like, holy hell, okay. Well, I didn't know anything specific, like, you know, and I I really didn't ask. So, of course, I immediately called my mom 
and said, dad's been arrested, charged with trying to kill people. Okay, we know, we know there are so many questions at this point, and we have them too. So let's start with how the fuck did this happen and why? And you know the drill, we got to go back. In 1992, 53-year-old Terry Barron had just been charged with multiple counts of attempted murder in Tampa, Florida. So, side note, Tampa is the third largest city in Florida after Jacksonville, Miami, and is home to many indigenous tribes. Situated on the coast of the Gulf of Mexico, the city of around 1.7 million people is located about 220 miles south, southwest of Jacksonville. We don't really know what Terry was doing down in Tampa, and we know it's somewhere that he had frequented in the past because Jody has memories of living and being there at various points when they were young. But either way, sometime around 1989 and 1990, Terry was in Tampa and started dating a local woman, 38-year-old Diane Bird. And the relationship ultimately fell apart, probably because, you know, Terry refused to believe that women are human beings and not possessions, and probably because he was abusive. Then about two years later, around February of 92, Diane met a guy that we're going to call Steve and the pair started dating. Right. And even though years had passed, Terry would not let this relationship go and he would not get on with his life. He remained fixated on Diane and he not only started stalking her, but he started stalking new boyfriend Steve as well. Terry would follow this couple around town. He would show up at restaurants where they were eating And he even stalked them when they would go to the laundromat to do their laundry. So Diane was terrified for both her safety and for her boyfriend's safety, understandably. And she did everything she was supposed to do. She reported Terry to the police. But as we see time and time again, they told her that things would need to get worse. They need to get physical before they could do anything. And as such, they suggested that she file a restraining order instead. But Diane wasn't in the financial position to be able to afford to do this. You need to hire a lawyer. You need to do court proceedings. It's all, it's a whole thing. She was out of work at the time. So that wasn't an option for her. The lack of police action was incredibly frustrating for Diane because almost two months earlier on July 1st, a new law had been passed in Florida, and this removed the requirement for people being harassed to file restraining orders in order for the police to respond. Under this new law, a person who followed and harassed a person over a lengthy period of time could be charged with a first-degree misdemeanor. If that person threatened to injure someone, they could be charged with a third-degree felony. Some police throughout Florida had already been arresting stalkers under this new legislation, but it appeared in Diane's case they were completely clueless about the change in this law. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. On August 22nd of 1992, 53-year-old Terry Barron's 40-year-old ex-girlfriend Diane Bird and her 41-year-old new boyfriend Steve met a friend for drinks at a bar in Hillsborough Avenue of Tampa. So Steve and Diane are going out for drinks. They're trying to move on with their lives. They're trying to have fun without Terry, without Diane's ex, stalking and harassing them. So that's what we're dealing with here. So at the end of the night, the couple had booked a room at the Shaw Motel. And this is something they did during the summer because Diane's apartment didn't have air conditioning and it's Tampa in the middle of the summer. Remember August, Ugh. deep, deep, humid summer. So it's smart. Stay at a motel. Motels are cheap. You can throw like 30 bucks at the room and like sleep in a sweet chill. That's like you're in a fridge. Like it's a brilliant <laughs> thing to do. 
So after they meet their friend for drinks, Diane and Steve went back to the motel. And they get ready to go to bed. They've been drinking all day. They wash their faces. They tuck themselves in. And they go to sleep. At around 9 p.m., as Diane and Steve slept, they were awoken out of a dead sleep when someone broke in through one of the motel windows. And I'm sure you guessed it. It was Terry. And when he was jolted awake, Steve felt something touching him and woke up to see Terry staring directly at him. This has to be the most terrifying Terrifying. Terrifying. My nightmare. In the entire... It's out of nightmares. Ugh. So what the couple didn't know was that Terry had brought along a pair of locking pliers and a three-inch steak knife. Terry savagely beat the couple, and Steve lost consciousness. And as Terry slashed at both Steve and Diane with the knife, blood was spattered throughout the entire room. And Diane was struck in the breast, her head, and her groin. Right, and despite how terrifying this was for this couple, no one could have imagined or foreseen what Terry would do next. So after Terry stabbed Steve in the heart and in the side as if that's not bad enough, he then took these pliers that he brought with him and he used them to sever Steve's penis, which somehow ended up under the bed in in the struggle and in the chaos of this whole thing. And I'm not a guy, but that's inhumane. It's excruciating. And it's a disgusting, horrible thing to do. And I thank God that Steve was was unconscious when it happened because it's a cruel awful thing to do. So after he brutalized his ex-girlfriend and his his ex-girlfriend's innocent new partner who did nothing except date a woman who was single, frankly, Terry eventually escaped out of the window. When Jody's mom heard of the gory details, the details of the attack on the couple really resonated with her. She told Jody that when she and Terry were still together, he threatened to do the same thing if she ever cheated on him. My mom told me, she was like, you know, well, when we were together, he always told me that that's what he would do. If he ever caught me messing around, he would castrate that man. So Diane, when she regained consciousness, ran screaming from the room and first responders soon arrived. So Steve and Diane, along with Steve's severed organ, were rushed to Tampa General Hospital, where Steve underwent emergency surgery and was in critical condition. Diane received 200 stitches to her head and 10 to her genital area. So clearly, he not only severed Steve's appendage, he tried to maim Diane's genitals too. Like this was a really disgusting way to try to get back at them and at her especially. She also had a five-inch gash to one of her breasts and cuts to her stomach and her buttocks. So you'll be relieved to know that yes, doctors managed to reattach Steve's penis But it was going to obviously be a very long road to recovery, not just to the injuries to their genitals, but like they'd been stabbed. Steve had been stabbed in the heart and in the side. Like they nearly died. And we want to pause for a second to kind of clarify something in this story. So some of the reports at the time, and not to mention just the way that we talk about cases in general, where somebody has their penis severed, I'm sure you've heard of a few, it's often referred to as castration. And technically, castration is defined as any action by which a biological male be they animal or human, has the use of their testes deactivated, quote-unquote, if you will, either surgically or chemically. And castration can also include the removal of the testes and the penis together, but it's not the removal of the penis itself. That is called a penectomy, which is a new wrinkle in my brain. 
Right. And so castration is more about the balls and testicles yeah. than it is about the penis because it's supposed right. to make someone sterile. Like they they do chemical castration for, they used to do for male sterilization, et cetera. Right. But either way, following this horrific, you know, attempted murder, Terry was arrested about four hours later and he was charged with two counts of attempted first degree murder and one count of armed burglary. So he was held in Hillsborough County Jail without bail and denied attacking the couple. He said, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. But when Terry went to trial, the court heard that the night of the attack was the fourth Saturday night in a row that Terry had parked his car across the street from the motel to watch Steve and Diane's door. So this was their ritual, and Terry was learning that. He had planned this, and he had stalked them in order to do this. Steve who was able to testify at this point, told the court that despite surgeons successfully reattaching his penis, he faced ongoing reconstructive medical treatment. Terry ultimately did not take the stand in his own defense, but his lawyer did try to shift blame onto Diane, alleging that the couple had gotten into an argument after their drinking session. That same night the attack occurred, but of course there was zero proof of this and the lawyer was just doing their job and trying to, trying to cobble together a defense from nothing. On December 18th of 1992, the jury found Terry guilty of two counts of attempted first-degree murder and armed burglary with a deadly weapon. On February 26th of 93, Terry was sentenced to three consecutive life terms. And we've never really heard of a sentence this long for attempted murder. And Florida state sentencing guidelines recommended a sentence of 17 to 22 years, but the judge told the court that in this case, she was exceeding the term because Terry should never be released from prison. Makes sense. So in 1994, the District Court of Appeal of Florida upheld Terry's sentence. It does make sense, but I also wanted to flag this. I do think it's interesting that he was sentenced to three consecutive life terms, because of the penis implication, trying to rip off a man's appendage, I think got more time. Like we see women, we see second degree murder, women being mm. killed by men mm-hmm. and they get way less time than this. Oh yeah. We see, you know, we've had, if you go back to our Peter Paul episode, that's attempted murder and he got five years. Yeah. And it's like, because a penis was ripped off, the judge was like, I'm throwing the book at you three life terms. Florida is also notoriously like a law and order state, you know, so I'm not I'm not like making sweeping remarks here about it being about the penis, but I don't think the penis didn't play a role. I think that's interesting. I think like the males in the court system were like especially horrified and threw the book at him. Mm, mm, mm. Either way, Terry's in jail and he's sitting behind bars and with little else to fill his time, he decides to write Jody. I would exchanged letters with him and he wouldn't go into much detail, but he would just say things like he wasn't in his right mind, things along the line of like, maybe he was on drugs, that kind of thing. But I never just like came out and asked him, okay, what was the deal? What was going on? So Jody found herself in this emotionally kind of impossible position of having to take her grandmother, who is Terry's mother, by the way, to clarify to see Terry. And and she was in total denial about Terry's crimes. And this obviously caused a lot of internal conflict for Jody because she'd seen her father beat her mother, you know? Um, So, but she held steady for the sake of her grandmother, which is a really commendable thing to do. It was like she refused to believe that he did it. She was up in age and I would actually drive her down to Florida and 
go see him. And I, I probably went to visit him maybe four times. Jody really struggled emotionally with this and remains conflicted about her father to this day. I don't know this person now. Like, the, the person I love is the person that, you know, was on the boat fishing with me, up in the tree stand with me and Granny and, you know, out at the fishing camp while I'm, that was like my treat. That was the only time I ever got to drink soda was when we went to the fishing camp. And, you know, that's, that's who I love. And it's hard to put that with the person that's in that prison right now, if that makes sense. You're not supposed to like bad people that, that do these kinds of things. And it's crazy for me to look at him now and, and I see so much of my younger brother in him and how much they look alike. And I'm like, gosh, y'all, this is the, the, the barren genetics are so strong. <laughs> and just, just to try to put that together with, with who he is and what he did now. And then like the rest of us, like, it's just sad that we don't have, you know, that dad, that's the greatest thing in the world that would do anything for us. And it's, it's just sad all around. It's hard to reconcile that within yourself, you know, because he's brought that on himself. He chose to go, do this he all he had to do was leave this girl alone she didn't want to be with him and he chose to go damn near take somebody's life so yeah it's hard yeah there are a lot of emotional complexities here but jody tries to find the silver linings wherever she can and she's good at it despite the pain and trauma of jody's childhood and her estrangement from terry something good has come out of her ordeal only a few weeks ago, Jody did a genealogy DNA test and was contacted by a half-sister that she had no idea about. Randomly, I get like this Facebook message from some chick in Colorado. And then she was like, please call me. It's personal. Trust me, you'll want to talk to me. I didn't respond to it. And then like the next day, I was getting ready for work and my oldest son, Christopher, sent me a screenshot with like a Facebook message that he got from the same woman saying, Chris, I'm trying to get in touch with your mom, Jody. Please have her call me. It's very important. He was like, do you know this person? I was like, no, I don't know what is going on. So I sent her a message back saying, is there something I can help you with? And she said, it'll probably be easier if we spoke on the phone, but let me just say my sister is your sister. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> What? So, I mean, of course, I called her. And turns out that her half-sister, Loretta, is my half-sister. And she was born in New Orleans, like, two years before me in 72. And she actually grew up thinking that her mom was her sister and her grandparents were her parents. And... It wasn't until she became a teenager that she found out the truth. And then, of course, her mom would, she said her mom would just say, you know, she didn't know who her dad was. Apparently, she 
decided to do a DNA thing. Like she really, really wanted to know who her dad was. And she uploaded it, I guess, to the same family site that, that we were on. And it hit to me as being her half sibling. And she was scared to, to contact me. She was like, oh, gosh, no, I can't. I can't. So her sister did. And that's how it started. And while I was on the phone with, with her sister that night, she three-wayed Loretta in. And we we talked for probably, gosh, three hours. And I was happy. Like, I wasn't surprised at all because I knew the kind of person my dad was. Here's the thing. Jody had to be the person to tell her new sister, not only that, yes, I know who our dad is, but I have to also tell you what he's done and who he is and what kind of person he is. And that's going to be hard for, for anyone in Jody's position. She was shocked when I told her about our dad. But then whenever I told her about how many siblings she had, <laughs> that was like the good part that came out of it. She was like, oh my gosh, I've got all these sisters now and, and brothers. The crazy thing is, is that seeing pictures of her and me, I look more like her than anybody, any of my other siblings. And and I always kind of grew up thinking that I was like the milkman's child. I'm like, who are these people? How am I related to them? So Terry's children transcended the pain his actions caused them. And they all became incredible people against the odds. So Jody's late younger brother, Brian, is one example of how all the kids have gone on to do amazing things and had become amazing individuals. Brian joined the military where he thrived in an environment which provided him the structure and mentorship he'd needed his entire life. You know, a little sad caveat is that, that my younger brother, Brian, was killed in Iraq in 2005. I'm so, so, so amazingly proud of him and and honestly if he could have chosen a way to go that would have been it and I'm so thankful that he didn't end up like my dad you know yeah I had a shitty childhood some shitty stuff happened and you know damn it I'm not that's not what makes me we all have a choice of of you know I can sit here and say you know, gosh, my life is shitty and I just don't have a choice and this is what I'm destined for. Or you can be like, fuck that. No, I'm not, I'm not going that way. You know, no, that's not an option. And just keep going. This really goes to show how parental trauma can be turned around in just one generation. And Jody is immensely proud of how her two adult sons have turned out as well. I couldn't even ask for better kids. They're, they're, they're both just awesome, wonderful, beautiful men who, you know, know how to treat women and they're living productive lives. And, you know, I have two beautiful granddaughters and they know their dad loves them. And yeah. That's all I can ask well, for. And here's the thing. Given what Jody knows about her father, she believes she has more siblings out there and she wants to find them. I honestly would not be surprised if there are more that show up. But it was it was so sad and heartbreaking to me 
to actually have to tell her, well, you know, our dad's a piece of crap and this is what he did. And anyway, it, it was, it was very sad, but you know, the silver lining is, is that she's an awesome person. She's, you know, had a kick-ass career in the military and she's got four amazing kids. She lives in Vegas and I can't wait to go actually see her in person. It's rare for any sort of positivity to come out from such a grim story for the families of either the victims or the offender. But for Jody, finding the joy and the heartwarming journey of discovering a family that she never even knew about at all is what she chooses to focus on going forward. I think what made it even better for her was that all of us were like, holy cow, look, it's another one of us. You know, who are you? What are you about? You know, how many kids you got? You know, all right, we got two more nephews, two more nieces. And, you know, trying to make those plans to actually, like, see each other and get together. And we've stated the intention for this episode, demonstrating exactly how your genetics do not define you. And Jody and her siblings are proof of that. The way she and her large circle of brothers and sisters and half-siblings have not only survived but thrived is a testament not only to their resilience, but a testament to the fact that you can overcome anything regardless of your past. And we can only hope that Terry knew that his absence, in some way, was ultimately the best thing for these kids, who all went on to have amazing relationships with their moms and with each other. Huge, huge thank you to Jody for being our first degree for the story. Your story is so fascinating and, and incredible. Important. Thank you for sh- and so important. important. Thank you for sharing it with us. If you are listening out there and you have a story to tell, please email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. Follow us on Instagram. Join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all of the time. Join our Patreon. We have so much fun bonus content for you over there. And stick around tomorrow because we'll have a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feed. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close, but not that close. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing and research by the all-star Gemma Harris. Sources for this episode are the Miami Herald, St. Petersburg Times, Orlando Sentinel, the Associated Press, the Tampa Tribune, the Bradenton Herald, the Tampa Bay Times, Healthline, and court documents. And as always, our first degree guest is always our largest source. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.